My, my name, I promise, is not very important. Uh, the, my favorite thing about my name is that it's written down in heaven, and that is all I really care about. Amen. Well, hallelujah. I just uh, was overcome with joy listening to well, all of this tonight, but, but as Brother Iran sang that song over there, I will see him. I will see him. There is a promise in the scripture. You know that it comes from the Beatitudes that Christ opened up that Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I'm going to tell you what, that's startling to me. It still is. For they shall see God. Moses, who asked of God that he might see his glory, and God said, Moses, it'll kill you if you do. You can just see just a little bit of the glory of God as it fades across the horizon. And here comes Jesus saying, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The only trouble we might have with that is the question that comes, well, who are the pure in heart? And the answer is none of us are apart from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It would have been an entirely empty promise for him to have made. It would have, been, it would have just been nothing, words without meaning, if he didn't intend to go to the cross and die for us so that in his dying he might cleanse us from sin and give us a purity of heart. Amen. I remember that I was made from the dust of this world, just from the dust of the earth, and the only thing alive in me really was just the seed of sin. And I'm ashamed to say it, but that seed of sin had germinated within me as it had within each of you. And then to think that you and I, who, who started out as dust and then it went downhill from there, I shall see God. I shall see Him. I'm going to tell you what, there's something that just still makes me laugh about. If there is a divine comedy, that's it right there that he'll take people such as we are, or we were created, and be given that wonderful, wonderful promise. Well, I am thankful tonight to be able to preach about this gospel of this kingdom of God and to come and share with you tonight. I wonder if you might uh, allow me just another moment of prayer. I, I love listening to Brother Iran pray at the beginning of, of the service, and I felt so moved by that. If you'd allow me one more moment just to pray. Our Heavenly Father... It's in Jesus' name I come before you humbly tonight asking you, Father, for help. Lord, help us to preach tonight. God, because there are men and women that need to be saved out there in the world. Lord, I don't know whether there's anybody in here tonight who doesn't know you. I don't know whether there's any soul one here tonight who is lost and apart from Jesus Christ. But Father, whether there are or there are not, I know that you need your church to be filled up with the power of God and I ask tonight that we would have an experience of that, Lord, not by my words, but by, but by what your Spirit does among us. Lord, give us great and mighty help in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Amen. I, I shared with you last night a few of the points about the kingdom that Jesus tried to instruct those Pharisees that he ate dinner with about. And we said that the kingdom of God is marked with compassion. And the kingdom of God is marked with humility and with generosity. And we could have said so many other things along with that. We could have said that the kingdom of God is marked by holiness. And I believe that it is. I, I don't know that there's any of us that have perfectly lived that out in this flesh. Yet I, I, I hope that doesn't make you want to throw stones at me. But the, but the equipping of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus for that 
is awesome to really see it, to feel it applied to your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. We could have talked about the, the kingdom is marked with unity. The real, genuine kingdom is marked with unity. It's marked with worship. It's marked with so many things. Tonight I'd like to focus in on one other thing that the kingdom is marked with and to begin to look at that. We're going to read some scripture tonight and I'm going to ask you if you would to open your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter number 61. Isaiah 61. Isaiah prophesying in Isaiah 61 about one who would come and to try to put that into context, I don't know if we always understand the timeline of the scripture as well as we ought to or not. Isaiah is given a great prophetic vision in Isaiah 61. And he is looking through the zoom lens of the Spirit at the things that God will show to him about one who is to come. And the question is how far out into the future for Isaiah is he looking? About 700 years. So to put that in context for us today, 700 years before this moment that you and I are living in, it's before Columbus took his fabled voyage across the ocean under the flag of Spain. This is a long time back from now, and for, for the time of Christ, back to Isaiah, is 700 years. And this is what Isaiah said with that prophetic voice. He said, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. Good tidings. By the way, if you want that in its New Testament uh, context, that means the gospel. Amen. Because he's anointed me to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Praise God indeed. I've been brokenhearted. Haven't you been brokenhearted? Brother, you said today, you said how it was when you were lost, when you were in sin, you felt like you were alone. For all the promises of the world, you end up feeling like the whole world is against you, like you have no friend. And that's a heartbreaking moment. But here is the one who comes sent to heal the brokenhearted. And there is certainly healing in his wings, is there not? Amen? Are you with me tonight? There's healing with Christ Jesus to proclaim liberty to the captives. I've been a captive. You've been a captive to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness. That they, who, who are we talking about here, by the way? Who, who, who will, through the working of this one who would come, who will be given this garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness? Who will be given beauty for ashes? Who will be called the trees of righteousness? Friends, he's talking about you. You are the planting of the Lord. It is through you. It is through your living, your experience of Christ, your experience of the gospel, your channeling of the Holy Spirit through your very life that, that the Lord may be glorified. Amen? 
Do you understand that there is a reason why Christ has said in his word that you are the light of the world? That was the light of the world saying that you are going to be the light of the world also. It's going to be through you that the light comes into the dark world that you and I live in today. Well, well, obviously Isaiah is not talking about himself. He's looking ahead 700 years to the one who would come. You remember with me that Jesus, uh, at the beginning of his earthly ministry, he was baptized by John in, in, in the Jordan River. And you remember with me that he, uh, as soon as he was baptized, the Bible says that the Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tested, to be tried by the enemy. And thank God he overcame the test. Amen. Well, what happened immediately following that? What happened immediately after he said, get behind me, Satan, uh, because I'm only going to worship and serve my father? What, what happened directly following that? He went home. He went home to Nazareth. He went home to the synagogue that he grew up in. And when he came in, they said, you do the reading today. And they handed him the scroll of Isaiah. And he opened it up to that portion we know as Isaiah 61. And he read, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor, to uh, send me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And then he rolled up that scroll and he looked his neighbors dead in the eye and he said, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. Amen. Did you know? Did you know that Christ came with incredible power? Sure you did. You knew that, didn't you? But do you stop and think about it very often? Do you really stop and consider just what, what it was Christ had the power and has the power to do? It's incredible. It really is. In the, book of, in the book of Luke, chapter number 7, I'm going to read to you beginning in verse 18. If you'd like to follow along, you're welcome to turn there. Luke chapter 7, verse 18. says, Then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus. And the reason he sent them instead of going is because John himself was in prison at this moment. He'd been separated from his friends. He'd been separated from what he thought of as the fulfilling of his ministry, the calling of God on his life. He wasn't in a place to be doing those things like he, like he thought he was supposed to, and he started to have some, some worries, and he had some fears. And so he sent them to Jesus saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Lord, really, is this, do I have it right? I've, I've put all my hope in you. I've, I pointed you out when you came across the bank of the Jordan. You were the one I pointed to and said, Behold, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And I know, and I know what I saw. I know what I saw come down from heaven. I know I saw that dove, the Spirit of God, light upon you. But I need to hear it again. Are you the one that we're looking for? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Verse number 20, When the men had come to Jesus, they said... John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? And that very hour, it didn't say that he answered. He didn't say anything to them. He didn't give them an answer. He didn't say, Well, you go back and tell John, Sure I am. He didn't say that. He didn't, he didn't say, who, who, who is John to be doubting me? He didn't say anything right away. What does it say happened here? It says in verse 21, And that very hour he cured many of infirmities, afflictions and evil spirits 
And to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered then and said to them, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them, and blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You go back and tell John the things that you've seen. I know he read what Isaiah said, and he'll understand when you tell him what you have seen, that all these things are fulfilled, he'll know that I'm the one that he was looking for. Verse 24, when the messengers of John had departed, he began to speak to the multitudes concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? When you went out by the thousands, when you went out, you emptied out villages and cities and you went into the wilderness looking for something. What did you go, what did you go to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Is that all it was, some different noise that you were looking for? Is that what it was about? Verse 25, but what did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who are gorgeously apparelled and live in luxury are in king's courts. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. I want you to ponder that before we read on for just a moment. I want you to think about some of the prophets that have come down. If we're going to put John into a category, we have to categorize him with the old covenant prophets because that's what he was. He was an old covenant prophet. And that puts him in the likes of men like Moses. Moses, a great prophet of God. There's no denying that. It puts him in the company of men like Nathan who had the boldness to look at King David and say, David, you are the man. It puts him in the company of, uh, uh, of men like Daniel, of men like Ezekiel, of men like Jeremiah. Jeremiah who had such a hard calling but was faithful to God. What I'm saying to you is here are great men. Elijah, we spoke of Elijah the other day who called down fire from God out of heaven. Amen. And, and Jesus says about John, who worked no miracles, who worked no miracles. The Bible doesn't tell us that John worked any miracles. But this is what Jesus said about him. He is greater than all the prophets that came before him, greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Isaiah, greater than all of them. But look at what he says next. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. You say, what, 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 what is Jesus talking about here? Is he, is he making a punitive statement about John because John had, the, had, had, the, had the, the fearfulness about him to sin? No, it has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It has to do with the fact that John belonged to a different epoch. He belonged to a different covenant than Jesus was coming to bring. And that means that he belonged to a different covenant than you belong to. Amen. That you may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that God may be glorified. How? Because you are greater yet. If you live in what Christ came to give to you, you're greater yet than even, than even John. Isn't that, I don't know what to do with that. It, 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 it shocks me. It startles me that God speaks to people like you and me in his word 
like this. Amen? Amen. Amen. Over, over in the book of Matthew chapter 3, and I know I'm mostly just reading scripture, just hang with me. I don't think that'd be a bad thing, though, if I just read some scripture to you and sat down, but, but I probably won't be able to restrain myself. Matthew chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. This was John's message. Verse 2, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. Uh, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. Not only, by the way, are you the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. You are the stones that God has raised up as children to Abraham. Amen. You who were nothing but a dead thing, a Gentile, a foreigner, an alien from all the promises of God. But because of what Christ has done, you've been a stone made alive. Amen. Hallelujah. It is with living stones that Christ is building his kingdom. Hallelujah. God is able to raise up to Abraham children from these stones. Verse 10, and even now the axe is laid, he said, to the root of the trees, the trees of unbelief, the trees of rejection and stiff-neckedness who won't follow the leading of the Lord. The axe is already prepared. It's been sharpened and the woodsman has gone forth. And the tree is to be cut down. Therefore, every tree, he says, which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water, John said, unto repentance. But listen to this. This is where I'm trying to get down to with this. It said, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. John understood that he was at the end of something and he was looking over at the beginning of something else. I've come to you with this message, but there's one coming after you, after me, who is so far superior. I can baptize you with water, but I can't even carry his shoes. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Amen. This is God's word to us tonight. That is not supposed to just be a doctrine for us. It's supposed to be our living experience. Baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, John said. And he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor. You know, it's, a, it's interesting to me that, that from the very beginnings of creation, from the very beginnings of everything that God did, God has been in the, in the business of, of separating things from one from another. It tells me in the beginning, what did God do? God said, let there be light. And there was light. And then what was the second thing God did? He separated light from darkness. He said, let the light be called day and let the darkness be called night. God is always, always a, a separator of things that, that are antithetical to one another. And what does he separate here? 
It says he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that there is a great reward that comes to us by grace for believing on and following the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe there's an awful cost to not believing on and following the Lord Jesus Christ. The one is the wheat and the other is the chaff. Amen. And it is the purpose of God to collect the wheat. Amen. And it'll come a time when he will, he will separate all the chaff from all the wheat. Luke 24 is where I'm going to next. Bear with me on the reading of the scripture tonight. Luke 24, I'm going to begin reading to you from verse 36. It said, Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened. I think there's something ironic about that already. Here he comes saying peace, and they were terrified and frightened. Well, they'd just seen him buried a few days before, so we'll give them a little grace here. We'll, we'll, we'll be forgiving to them if they're being disobedient already uh, because they're, they're so shocked that Jesus is standing among them. And it says that they supposed they'd seen the Spirit, verse 38, and Jesus said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. Have any of you eaten, eaten fish with honey for breakfast? Neither have I. Jesus liked it. We might ought to try it sometime. I don't know. That's not doctrine. I just noted that as I went through that. Verse 43. And he, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. And he didn't do that just because he was hungry. He did that to demonstrate his physical resurrection from the dead. Amen. Then he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scripture. My prayer when I go to the Word of the Lord, when I go to study, is God, help me, Lord, open my understanding that I might comprehend the Scripture. Because without your help, O oh God, I cannot comprehend the Word of God. It is entirely from somewhere else beyond my uh, realm of experience. But if you will help me, I can understand it. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Do, do you understand what that says? That says that everything that was necessary for Christ to do to fulfill, to fulfill the prophecy in Isaiah about him and to fulfill all the prophecy of the old covenant, pointing, he had already done his work. Amen. That's why he could hang on the cross and he could say, Father, it's finished. Father, I have done my part. Lord, everything that was on me is done. Amen. And I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful that when he, when he started out, he went all the way. Amen. When he started out toward the cross, he didn't quit until the work was finished on his part. Amen. But look, let's keep reading for just a moment here. It was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. But verse 47 says, And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
Well, is he, is he supposed to do that too? Is that on him? Is that his work exclusively? Is that one of those things that he says, all oh, fellas just sit around and sing some songs together, build your campfire, sing some kumbaya, eat some chicken and I'll take care of it? That's not, that's not it, is it? There's a work here for you and me to do. Not to become followers of Christ, but because we are followers of Christ. Amen. Because we're born again, we read verse 47. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you, and you, and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are... And here it is. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. <laughs> Guys, I gotta be honest with you. If we're talking about the power necessary to complete to complete the mission that Christ has laid on us after he has carried the overwhelming lion's share of it all. He has done that which we could not do. Amen. And then he tells us what we have to do. And he knows that we're not up to the task. He knows how weak we are. He remembers we're made from the dust. And he lays it on us. And he says, but here's what you've got to do. You've got to wait. You've got to wait until you're endued with power from on high. I thought that deserved more than about three amens. I mean, not for me. Hey, listen, don't ever amen me. I don't need it. It doesn't do it. But it is for us. It is for us to give our assent and our celebration of the promises of God in the scripture. Amen. Look at it again with me. Tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, endued with the power from God, with power from on high, so that you can... What I'm saying to you tonight, friends, is this. Kingdom of God is so many things. It's generosity, it's compassion, it's humility, it's unity, it's transformation. It's so many things. But can I tell you this also? The kingdom of God is power. The kingdom of God is power. It's power. Amen. Acts 1, verses 4 through 8, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. In other words, he said, don't you fellas even try to do this without the Holy Spirit's help. Don't even go, don't even tell anybody the gospel. Yes, I know, you'll be living there, you'll be in Jerusalem, you'll be holed up together in the upper room, you'll be surrounded, you'll hear the, the, the crowds of thousands come into Jerusalem for the festival. They'll be there for that, for the Pentecost festival. And you'll be thinking to yourself, look at all these thousands of people who need the gospel. But I don't want you to make one move. I don't want you to tell one person. Keep it completely to yourselves until you're endued with power from on high. Amen? And so they didn't move. They didn't move until God moved. But brother, when God moved, then they went. Amen? Amen. You know... <laughs> Here's where I think we are sometimes in the church today. I think sometimes we're willing to move where God doesn't. And we're unwilling to move where God wants to go. You hear what I'm saying to you tonight? And then we get frustrated 
and we get wore out because we don't know why we don't have the kind of power we read about in the Bible. When it talks about the kingdom being a kingdom of power, he says, he says, just wait, just wait, just wait. Don't go until, don't go until you have the power. Amen. Being assembled together, he commanded, don't, don't go. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they'd come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They'd, they'd, seen, they'd seen the resurrected Christ. Hallelujah. You know, see what I'm saying to you tonight? They, they had seen the fulfillment of all these ages of prophecy that had come, right? All the things that God had said for all those, all the river of blood that was shed just as a placeholder in Jerusalem, as lamb after lamb and goat after goat and bull after bull was slaughtered and killed. But they'd seen the final sacrifice to end all of them. Amen. And here they are still arguing about points of doctrine that they did not understand. Well, okay, Lord, but what about Israel? What about returning us to the glory days? And it's, it's funny Jesus didn't slap them. Because I think Jesus knew that when they got the power, they'd quit asking foolish questions. When they got the power of God, they'd quit worrying about things that didn't have any any real relevance anymore, amen? You know, I think one of the marks of, of men and women of God who have power, men and women of God who have power from God don't major on the minors, amen? They don't get lost in foolishness, but they preach that gospel with a clear voice. They bring the word of God to the world and it does something powerful and mighty. He said, it's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father's put in his own authority. He's saying to them, don't you worry about those things. Verse 8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 2, I'll just read verse 4. You know about this wind that comes in, this holy breath of God. And then verse 4 it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak with other tongues this gospel as the Spirit gave them, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Isn't that wonderful? And they went out. And you know what was said about these men here? It was said about them within just a few years. These are those who are turning the world upside down. Do you understand how far they brought the gospel? How, how they moved it out of that one concentrated place, that one room, and they took the gospel and they flung it as far as they could imagine in their scope of the world. Within a generation... There were churches established. There were thousands and thousands and thousands of people believing on Christ and following Him. What happened? There was an endowment. There was an endowment of power. Amen. Do you know that we need an endowment of power? Do you know that we're never going to be successful without, without an endowment of power? Do you understand what Jesus was saying when He said to Peter, you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and I'll give you the, king, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And every time Peter preached that gospel with power, the key in the door unlocked it another time and here comes some more. And they came in by the thousands, by the thousands. He preached to them in the city of Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and it said that when they heard, when they heard what he said, what did he say? He said, he said, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
Can I tell you, it was not Peter's words that were doing that, or not his words alone, but it was the Holy Spirit in him bearing witness with those that he wasn't afraid to tell the truth to. Right? Right? So many things that we could say about our world today. All the problems that exist in the world today, in our own country here today, there are so many things that we could say. And we could try to point fingers and figure out who to blame and say, well, it's this one's fault and that one's fault. And there's certainly a lot of fault to go around. I'm afraid if we get too deep into that, sometimes we end up just being like the disciples who, who, said, who said to the Lord, whose who, who sin caused this one to be blind? Ultimately, I think the problems in our, are just the work of sin. It's just the work of the enemy. It's just the work of the devil. And you know what the world needs? It doesn't need us to analyze and figure out the blame all the time. You know what it really needs? It really needs the church to be filled with the power of God. The church to be filled with the power of God. I want to show you one other thing. It's been on my heart all summer long. Everywhere I've gone to preach, God keeps bringing me back to this one little thing. I may have shared it with some of you who are at Alta Pass. I'm not going to share every bit of it, just, just a little bit of what God has given me as I've talked about, about what is needful, what is needful for us. And so if you'd look one more place in the Bible with me, I would appreciate it in Luke number 9. Luke chapter number 9. Luke 9 opens with the disciples being given power. I'll read verse 1. Maybe one and two. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Isn't that what that says right there? He gave them power to do those things. But, but can I tell you something about that? That was episodic. It was just for a little while. It didn't last for a very long time, did it? We don't find it that they went out and thousands and thousands of people became followers of Jesus. The people's lives were radically transformed in a way that changed the whole face of the world. They went out with some power and they saw that the power worked, that they had power over diseases, that they had power over demons. But what I'm saying to you is that there was a power there that just didn't last. But there was something else that they needed to understand. They needed to make a connection with something more lasting. And so in that same chapter, the same chapter, to the same disciples, we find Jesus saying something else. And so if you look with me to Luke 9, verse 23, then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. You know what Jesus is saying to them there? You need power. You need this experience, not just to hear about it, not just to read about it in the script, but you need an experience of power. But for you to have that, you must be crucified. The way God has given it to me to say it all summer long, wherever I've gone to preach is this, Jesus Christ cannot revive, He cannot empower 
an uncrucified church. And he cannot empower an uncrucified Christian. This kingdom that we are a part of, you know this as well as I do. The kingdom of God is upside down and backward to every other kingdom in the world. Power in the kingdom of God doesn't mean what it meant to the Babylonians or to the Persians or the Egyptians or the Assyrians or to the country we live in. Power in the kingdom of God is for the crucified. It's a power that is for the crucified. And so tonight, as I'm thinking about this kingdom, that one of the hallmarks of the kingdom is that it's a kingdom of power as I read about it in the scripture. And I read about that New Testament church and it clearly was that. And then we, in so many ways, we look at a church today. And I, I'm not saying this is true about you. But I think on the whole, it's generally true about the church in our country and possibly around the world today. It doesn't seem to look exactly like the New Testament church. There doesn't seem to be as much power. There doesn't seem to be an empowerment of witness. When we speak, are they cut to the heart anymore? You cannot do this alone. You cannot. You're not strong enough. Jesus said to his disciples, while they were still only in their own power, don't even tell one soul about the gospel. Don't tell anybody about Jesus yet. Don't tell them a thing until you've received power from on high. Right? You hear what I'm saying to you? And then here in Luke 9, he says, but, but you've got to understand the kingdom is marked just not by power, but, but a power that comes from men and women who have turned away from their own lives. They've been crucified with that experience of saying, God, I'm resigning my whole life to you. I think, I think a part of the problem that we have today in the modern church is this. We have a lot of people who go to church and they call themselves Christians. And they basically live life however they want to live it. They live life on their own terms. And then they come to church and they try to put a little Jesus on it. Right? Put a little Jesus on it and, and call it good. And they walk away and they keep singing their favorite songs. But there just ain't no power in that. You hear what I'm saying to you? There's no power in it. And the reason there's no power in it is because they've never really been crucified. They've never really come to the end of themselves. What did Jesus say here? Whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what should it profit a man if he gained the whole world and is himself lost or destroyed? There's a little illustration I've used before. I'll use it again. In the days of, of westward expansion, when, when pioneers were leaving the eastern seaboard, and they're making their way across the, the plains and the prairies on their way west. They would load belongings onto wagons that were pulled usually by mules or oxen. And almost without fail, those families that came west overestimated the amount of stuff that they could take with them. And so that if you walked along those trails, if you, if you rode along those trails in those days, you would come to places along the side of the road where you would find just treasures that were left laying. You'd find places where people started to offload and they would realize we can't go on and they would take and they would put furniture off the side of the wagon. Sometimes they would put whole sets of fine china off the side of the wagon. 
They would put libraries of books that they thought that they could get there with, but they realized that they weren't going to be able to make it with those things. And I've read that in some places you might even find a whole big grand piano that they had put on the wagon, and finally they said, it's got to come off. It's got to come off. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? Because they came to understand that if they were going to go where they were trying to get to, they had to lose some things. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But that sometimes you would also find in the middle of all those things piled up there, you might find the bones of somebody who just couldn't ride away. They couldn't get back in the wagon. They were so clinging to the things that were offloaded they couldn't get back in the wagon, and they died there. They died on the journey. Why? Because they were clinging to an old life, and they weren't going on. Can I say it to you again? Christ cannot empower us to go forth and be his kingdom until we've experienced our own crucifixion itself. And here, here's my, my trouble with that is that There's a part of my flesh that is, it, in one way at least, a little bit like Jesus. I crucify it today, and in a day or two here, it comes out of the ground again. Yeah? You know what I'm talking about? You've been there? Right? I found out that the old man who lives inside of me, I crucify him, and before long, I'm going to have to crucify him again. And again, and again, and again. And I say, oh God, you're just going to have to help me because I mean to keep killing this rascal until the day that he's finally and fully dead forever. Amen. I'm going to try my best, Lord, but you give me the help, you give me the strength, and I will crucify him until it takes or until I die in the service of the Lord. Amen. I'm going to go on because, because if he is still living, I cannot have power from God. Because as long as he lives, the Holy Spirit's work in my life is hindered. Because as long as he lives, my witness to my lost family and my friends is just a, a, a buzzing noise in their ears. And it's just the words of man. When I have a friend that I love dearly and I know they're lost and I know they're on their way into hell, amen, and I want to see them be safe, but I'm not willing to be crucified so that the power of God can flow through me. I understand that I am just an accomplice to their condemnation because I'm still living for self because my words need to be accompanied by power if they're going to affect anything, amen. Because, because I'm, tired, listen, I'm tired of being a part of a church culture that is not what is written about in the scripture. Because I read what's possible and then I look at what is. Because I find the promise of God and all the things that God paid so dearly to give to us. And... You know, it's almost like we're just the lost person one step removed. We said, yes, Lord, yes, we want the eternal life. We want the good stuff for us. But the rest of the world can go to hell. We don't even care. Because if it's required, <laughs> if it requires me living the crucified life to receive the power to go out and be the witness that you told me I needed to be, that's just, that's too hard. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. What I say the other day, yesterday, 
They say the difference between teaching and preaching is that teaching informs and preaching pushes. Well, I guess if I'm pushing tonight, it's from the Lord. I hope it's not just from me. If it's from me, you can ignore it with a clear conscience. But it's from the Lord. I guess the thing I'm trying to push toward you is a cross. You see, you see, so, so, so much has been accomplished through the cross of Christ. So many things in the great purposes of God that could only be accomplished, that only could have been done through the cross of Christ. The chasm, the gap, that canyon that existed between us and God could only be bridged by His cross. But let me tell you this too. There are purposes of God for your cross. There are things that God wants to accomplish that He can only accomplish through your cross and you bearing it. And occasionally, sometimes we're walking down the road carrying the cross that God has called us to bear. And it comes to us that this day, what I need is not to worry so much about getting farther down the road. I need to plant this cross and be nailed to it for a little while because there's something living in me that just needs to die. Amen. There's something living in me that needs to go away. And that's why He gave me this cross so that I could put to death those things that speak that, that, that betray His Lordship over me. And then when I find myself revived from that, set free from those things, you know what I find? There's the blowing wind of the Holy Spirit that runs through me. That they may be called trees of righteousness. And he was talking about you. You have drawn up into yourself the water of life. You have drawn up into yourself the water of life, bearing fruit for the world, equipped and empowered for the glory of God to shine through. But, but, Jesus said, if any of you would be my disciple, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. He looks at a group here, disciples all, and says to them, some of you, some of you won't die the death of the body until you've seen the kingdom of God in power. Brother, I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I, I don't want to live my life on, on borrowed stories from a past where people saw the great work of God. I want to see. I want to experience those things. I want to see the power come. Amen? And listen to me. Now, if, if, if it's just a handful of us tonight who are willing to be sacrificial with ourselves, if it's just a handful of us tonight that are willing to be crucified, can I tell you what? God can do an incredible lot with a handful of crucified men and women who said no to self and said yes to Him. Amen? So tonight, how about you? has the cross, and I don't mean the cross of Jesus. I know you love it and sing songs about it, which is right. But I mean your own cross. Has it become a stranger to you? Is it something that you've learned to embrace and say, praise God for this? When my life is hard, when things don't go my way, when my plans and ambitions get frustrated, I say, praise God, praise God. 
here is a cross at work in me. Do, do you do that? <laughs> I'd like to say I always do that. I probably forget to a lot. I probably forget to do that. But there's a reason why the scripture says to count it all joy. Count it all joy. In everything give thanks. That's your cross work. Is it a stranger to you? I think I've talked long enough. I want to give to you an invitation tonight. When we ask people, come up and get saved. Oh, it ought to be the easiest thing to come up and get saved. Give your heart to Christ. Be born again. Amen. What if I'm preaching to you tonight saying, come to the altar and let's meet here and pray. Oh, God, help us to be crucified. Can we, can, would there be any takers on that? Would there be anybody who'd say, Lord, I, I really don't want to be living my life my way on my terms and just trying to slap a little Jesus on it and call it good. I really want to live the life so that, so that the power of God can flow through me and men and women's lives can be changed, the gospel be preached, and God be glorified. Would there be somebody who'd say yeah to that tonight? Well, if you'd like to pray. Here is the altar. It's to you to decide what to do with that. Our brother will come and lead us in a song of some kind. I'm going to be praying because I just need to.